This is a legacy episode of the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast, originally released as part of the Lesbian Talk Show podcast group. Some references may be obsolete. The show looks at lesbian-relevant themes in history and literature, has interviews and discussions about current historical fiction with queer female characters, including fantastic versions of the past, and presents new original historical fiction for your enjoyment. Today, the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast is delighted to talk to Samantha Rajaram about her book, The Company Daughters. Welcome, Samantha. Thank you for having me. So I believe that The the Company Daughters is your debut novel. Is that right? That's correct. I worked on it for about nine years. It took a long time to get it out into the world. (laughs) Wow, that is quite a while. Uh, Although it's about the same as it took for my first novel. Uh, Why don't we start off with a a brief synopsis of the story? Sure. A lot of my writing starts with some sort of law or policy that I find in the course of my research and then thinking about the implications of that law or policy on the people that we don't often hear about in history. So in this case, it was what we would call a a sort of anti-miscegenation policy by the Dutch East India Company. So this is happening in the 17th century during the Dutch Golden Age. And this was a time when Dutch settlers were starting to uh, journey out into Asia and start their settlements there. And oftentimes what was happening is they were having children with the native women in those places. And so there were these mixed race children and the Dutch East India Company didn't know what to do with these children. So they instituted a policy whereby they brought young poor women from the Netherlands to the colonies uh, to marry the settlers there. And so the premise of the book is what would happen if two of these women would fall in love with each other en route to Batavia. Uh Yeah, that's a similar policies show up in a number of colonial areas. It's like, oh my God, we sent the men there and now they're, oh my God, having sex with the local women. We can't have that. Or or we need to change that now that we are becoming uh, more civilized, as it were. Absolutely. So <laughs> the same thing was happening here, where they actually brought these women as sort of a civilizing presence for the men. Yeah. So I love that you've chosen an era and a location that isn't overdone. I mean, I, I love a good Regency romance, but I want some more variety than that. What led you to this particular setting other than the inspiration of that particular law? I mean, I would say the characters are always where I begin and it sound, might sound a little strange, but they sort of talk to me. And so I just start listening and writing. Um, and so this one kind of naturally lended itself to um, starting in Amsterdam. And then as I started to uh, examine the sort of shipping routes and trade routes of the time, I realized that they would stop at the Cape Coast, South Africa, and from there go on to Batavia. So um, that enabled me to kind of organize the book so that the first part happens in Amsterdam, the second part is on the ship, and the third part is when they actually reach Batavia. Mm -hmm. So I noticed from your bio that your own family heritage is from India. And, you know, somehow in my mind, I'd always associated the Dutch East India Trading Company with Indonesia, but I was doing my my background research, and obviously that was not the case. They were all over the place in Asia. So in, I'm not familiar with exactly where Batavia is. Is that in India? 
No, it's part of it's Java, what's now Jakarta. Oh, okay. So there's really no, um, you know, really explicit connection to India other than the fact that the Portuguese brought some Indian people to that area as slaves. And this was before the Dutch got there. And so there was a small population of Indian people that were there. Um, so I wasn't, when I wrote this, I wasn't thinking, oh, this has to do with my culture specifically. And that's why oh. I'm writing this. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't sure about that because the, the, you know, book description wasn't clear. And, you know, obviously there's nothing that says that people have to write about their own cultures, right. but uh, I, I wanted to, to find out about that angle on it. So yeah. you said that the, the characters came first and then the implications of the law, but did the same sex relationship come in at the beginning or did that emerge from the characters in the story? I, I mean, I have to go back and think about this, like, but I, I do, my, re my recollection is that Yana, you know, when I heard from her and when I started writing her, it was pretty clear from the beginning that she was going to fall in love with a woman. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, as I started to continue on this path of writing the book, it became clearer and clearer to me that that, mo that moment of agency where she enables herself to fall in love with a woman is so important to her in being able to understand so many other things about her place in the world and her place in this colonial world. Mm -hmm. So have you um, done a fair amount of research about queer history at that kind of time depth? I know that you, you're going to talk about some you know, more more modern queer writers, but... Uh... I tried. I, I really did. There's not much about lesbian history in that period from what I found. Um, but I did find a couple cases that described um, trials, sodomy trials involving men. But it was very difficult to find much information. And I was also further hampered by the fact that I don't have... I didn't get like a big research grant or anything like that. I was, <laughs> you know... Um, left to my own devices. I spent a lot of my own money on books I found online and um, trying to get access to books through my college library and, you know, hundreds of articles that I could find, law review articles, things like that. Um, but, you know, it was challenging. Yeah. I, so you've mentioned law a couple of times and you have this complex professional background because you started out with a degree in English and then you got a law degree and now you teach composition. So, the legal aspect, how does that fit in to your your personal interests and your writing interests? Yeah, um, I think part of it is that the, my lens on the law has a lot to do with issues of power and how law reinforces systems of power. And I think my writing has to do with that as well. So, for example, in The Company Daughter, I'm looking at how these interlocking systems of power work together. So, for example, we have the patriarchy of the colonies, that whole civilizing mission that's foisted on the women, um, as well as the sort of heteronormativity of that time. And then on top of that, you have the racial dynamics and colonialism itself. And all of those things are things I was thinking about as a lawyer. Um, and I came into law with that lens on it. So for me, they're very complementary. And again, I think a lot of my books come out of these ideas around around these antiquated laws and what they what they mean to people that are often omitted from the history. Uh huh. So has history always been an interest of yours? I think so. You know, I grew up in Wyoming, 
I was uh, the only Indian kid in my school, wow. the only person of color in my school. My parents were the first um, pediatricians in the county, and they were the only we were the only Indian family in the county. And I was always really aware of how different I was, and also very aware of my own family's history and the colonial history embedded in that. And so I was also pretty aware of the illusions that I saw in my own understanding of history from school. So I was, I think, pretty clued in early on to the fact that there were things that were being omitted. Yeah. What other historic eras would you be interested in exploring in fiction? So I'm, I'm working on multiple books. That's how I write. Um, and they all are about different periods of history. So one that I'm really interested in, and I'm, I'm finalizing a, a manuscript right now that's set in, well, it starts from a policy from the 19th century. Um, the part of India that my mom is from is a French colony. Anyone who's read Life of Pi might remember this place, Pondicherry. That's where my mom is from. It was a French colony, and the French had this policy called renunciation. So it enabled Indian people to renounce their native citizenship, become French, thereby having access to better paying French jobs and social mobility and all of that. So I was really interested in this idea of assimilation and how that process of assimilation is embedded in laws. And that's what the novel I'm working on right now is about. And I'm also really interested in the um, use of indentured servants from India after the abolition of slavery. So mm -hmm. I'm working on a couple books that are related to that. Yeah, interesting. So you mentioned that it took something like nine years for this book to develop. Want to talk about that process a little bit? I know, it, I think you mentioned in your bio that uh, you were in some, um, you know, pitch competition thing was how you got your start. Am I remembering that correctly? Yes, I um, was able to get my agent through a, a sort of, I don't want to call it a competition, but that's really what it felt like. It was <laughs> It's called Pitch Wars. <laughs> And um, it's becoming more and more popular, but every year we get about three to 4,000 applicants. And what you, there are about 100 mentors in different genres. And you submit your manuscript and query letter and all that to the mentors that you think would be a good fit. And I was lucky enough to be mentored by Carrie Callahan, who happened to have her debut novel coming out, which was also set in the Dutch Golden Age. So that worked out really well. And she's one of my you know, dear friends, wonderful mentor, and she's kind of helped me throughout this process. Um, so that was really, that was wonderful to have the benefit of having a mentor through this process, but also meeting all the other people in the, in the community that way. I can't imagine navigating the world of publishing without without that community. Mm -hmm. So was most of the, the nine years you spent writing a matter of the, the development of the story? So I guess to put it in context, um, I'm a single parent. I have three kids. I wow. was in the middle of um, changing careers from lawyer to academic, and I had to go back to graduate school for that and to sort of restart my whole career. Um, and I just was really busy. And so I didn't always have time to just sit and write. You know, I woke up at, you know, sometimes three in the morning to start writing and to do my research. And I just worked on it a little bit every single day. I also traveled to Amsterdam to do research there. Um, so I just 
you know, it just took a long time for me to get all the information I wanted together. I wanted to be as sort of comprehensive as I felt like I could be. And I wanted to give the characters time to breathe. And I didn't really know how to write a novel. I, I don't have an MFA. I didn't take any creative writing courses or anything um, until much later. I, I took some creative writing classes at Stanford through their continuation studies, but um, continuing studies program. But I didn't have any formal training. So I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> uh, I, I think know. most of us don't when we start. Yeah, there's this misnomer that everyone has to, you know, get an MFA to be a writer. And part of why I continue to be involved in Pitch Wars as a mentor now, and actually the writer I mentored last year has a, an amazing book. She's also a queer writer um, that's coming out in 2022, I believe. Um, and so now I'm mentoring writers, you know, and, and one of the great things about Pitch Wars is you don't need to have an MFA. Yeah, that's interesting that, that that attitude is out there because I'm I'm very familiar with uh, the science fiction and fantasy world, mm -hmm. and I don't think anybody in that genre thinks you need an MFA. And similarly for romance, so it's it's interesting the different publishing cultures that are out there and the the different assumptions. That's absolutely true. I mean, I only know my genre really. I, I read primarily in one one or two different genres, and that's why I can't really mentor any of those other ones because I feel that every genre is so specific into what it's looking for, what the trends are, you know, who the right agents are. So um, my own interest in terms of my mentoring is really contemporary literary fiction and in historical fiction. Uh huh. And very often historical fiction, I find, you know, falls in between some of the the significant um, communities. It can yeah. be a hard one to get traction in. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think it's such, just a hard genre to write in as well because of all the research that goes into it. You know, it's, um, and frankly, as somebody who wants to write about omitted histories, omitted people, that makes the research that much harder because there's just a lot less out there, you know, because I'm always thinking about, well, who's writing this dissertation and why are they writing it and what's their connection to it? So, you know, I'm always kind of reading the research with a certain amount of skepticism, I guess, of wondering what the, you know, what the reasons behind it are. Yeah, I know. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you've had a chance to check out my blog where I'm you know, doing essentially commentary on academic research about queer female themes in history. And I do a lot of picking apart, you know, what are this author's prejudices? What are their assumptions? How are they spinning this? It, it really takes a lot of critical reading. It really does. And it, it, you know, I feel an immense amount of responsibility when I embark on these, uh, on these journeys, trying to find you know, the research that I feel like makes the most sense, it, it, it's hard. And I, I don't know if I always get it right, but I, I try, I keep trying. Uh -huh. So if people wanted to follow you on social media, where should they look? So right now I'm banned on Twitter, apparently. Oh, <laughs> I'm like a bad girl. <laughs> I don't know. Too political, I guess. I don't. I have no idea what the reasoning for it is. But uh, so I. But my Twitter handle is Samantha Reader, but it's it's not working right now. Um. So my other social media is I have a Facebook author page, Samantha Rajaram, and I also have an Instagram um, feed, which is Samantha dot Okay. 
I will put links to those in the show notes. Thank you. Oh, my website too is www.samanthorajaram.com. Got it. So thank you so much for joining us on the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast. See the show notes for links to people and topics. Most shows will have a transcript linked as well. If you have a book announcement, a topic suggestion, or might like to appear on the show, please drop me an email. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate it and subscribe on your favorite podcast app and consider supporting our Patreon.